Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Layout's Bible Church. I was just realizing that, you know how we have heroes all around? Well, I think you people that are showing up face-to-face are my heroes, so thanks for being here today. Let's begin by entering into prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you gave him for us and for the whole world. He died for our sins. He was buried and you raised him from the dead, Father, so that whoever simply believes in him will have eternal life. Father, today we would ask for your oversight, for the Holy Spirit's guidance in what we'll be doing here today with the word of God and fellowship with one another and giving to one another. We also pray, Father, for the body of Christ in this country and around the world. We pray that those who are under persecution may be steadfast, understanding the work you're doing through that persecution. And we also, Father, want to pray for our country this morning. We pray, Father, that you would place your hands over the hearts of enough people so that we would avoid the worst uh, that it seems like we're headed to. And uh, But most of all, Father, we just rejoice and praise for you and your Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can probably see, we're not going to have song service this week. Uh, it will resume next week. Next week also, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper, because it's the first, uh, first Sunday in August. As you know, a uh, missionary this month has been Pastor Kingsley and Maniki. Um, we do, every time we feature a, a missionary organization or a missionary, um, do send a gift along. Um, and you're encouraged to help us. You'll see today that um, what Paul's going to talk about in our passage today in 1 Corinthians 16 is all about that. About how everyone should be helping to support missionaries. All right, that's, uh, that's something that's really important. So I would encourage you to give uh, for Kingsley and every month when we have a different missionary organization. Once again, remember that uh, uh, Bud and Kim Duncan are a dungeon... I don't know how they pronounce their name. Dungan, I guess. Dungan, yeah. Um, They have a homeless ministry, um, and uh, they always are in need of uh, donations of food. Obviously, it should be canned, not perishable, so that they can store it and then provide it to those who need it. Um, And as I mentioned before, they haven't asked for finances, but I know they could use them, given the amount of money they're spending on different things. So I want to plant that seed as well. COVID-19, it's getting really bad out there in Florida. I've seen the numbers, and I'm sure you have too. I don't pay attention to the hysteria of the media, but when you dig down into the numbers, you can see that it's really, really um, an issue right now. Because of that, I would ask all of you to wear masks at all times when you're indoors with us, if you can. Um, If you have a disability or a medical condition that prevents you from wearing that covering, then um, you don't have to, but otherwise we would ask that you would keep those masks on. All right, the title of today's message is A Wide Door, A Wide Door of Opportunity Has Opened to Me. These are Paul's words. He's talking about the opportunities, the doors that the Lord opens in his life, especially because his mission was to preach the gospel through the entire Roman Empire. And there were some wide doors, and there were also some persecutions that came along with it. And we'll see that at the end today. But now I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Last chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 9. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 9. And we'll begin. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, 
so do you also. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they'll go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. We're now in chapter 16. And this morning, this section, verses 1 to 9, addresses really two things. One, the collection for the saints in Jerusalem, the collection for poor members of the body of Christ. And then two, Paul's upcoming travel plans. Now, of course, this was written 2,000 years ago. And while they may have a direct interest in these travel plans, we look at it today from the point of view of what God is doing and the principles, again, that we can take from that that apply to us in this generation. So we'll do, obviously do that this morning. Well, when we get to chapter 16, Paul's done dealing with the problems and issues that were in that church. And as we've seen, there were many of them. And in chapter 16, he's going to deal with them more practically. And he's going to talk about individuals. He's going to talk about things that he's looking for them to do. It's all based really on that last verse in chapter 15, verse 58, where he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable. I lost my place. I want to click. I just want to show you that's the next verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Oh, here's it is. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord, not in vain because of the resurrection. Christ's and then ours in the future. But I want you to notice that phrase again. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says it in a general way in the last verse of chapter 58. And of course, that that leads to a question. What is the work of the Lord? And how can I see it in action? And how can I apply it and do it myself? Well, the work of the Lord, as we did see last Sunday, refers to all the activities that build up and edify the church. Activities that grow the church through the preaching of the gospel. Activities that build up and edify members of the body of Christ one to another. And we've all been called to do that because we've all been given a spiritual gift. Remember, every one of us has received a spiritual gift from the Lord for the purpose of building up and, and, and supporting and for the common good. All right, what are those gifts? <laughs> Remember, you have one of these, all right? Evangelists. Those are, are men who go out into the world Um, Don't stay in the local congregation, but go other places, maybe other continents, as we see so many of the ones that we support, the missionary organizations. Pastor, teacher, that's the gift that I have. That's a communication gift. That's to study the word of God and and to preach it and communicate it. Leadership means that there's certain um, areas of the church that need leaders, all right? We have the elders here, the major ones, but we have also other areas where we have people in leadership. Giving. All right, that's a spiritual gift in addition to a duty for every one of us. All right, but the spiritual gift in particular is where the Lord has blessed somebody financially 
and has given them really a supernatural ability to be generous to other people. All right? Mercy, that's the people who have a special sense of who's hurting right now and can go there and, and, and do things to help them out. Service is similar, although service is ongoing activity related to some area of the ministry. For example, the song leaders, they're providing a service as an example, the ushers and so forth. Those are services. Helps is a general gift in the sense that it attaches to any one of these other gifts and provides whatever help is needed to support that activity. Teaching, in addition to the pastor communicating to the entire congregation, there are opportunities to teach, whether it be um, women teaching other women, which is mentioned specifically in the Bible, um, teaching children, um, teaching in other situations. You know, Those who are in prison, they teach each other, for example. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities, and some people are gifted to teach. They're just, they're not, now, it doesn't mean that they can walk into a school and teach there, because it's a totally separate thing. It's just an ability to teach God's Word to people. And then finally, exhortation. This means to really to, to encourage and exhort the, the members of the congregation on the basis of God's word to put into action that which we believe. And put into action, that's what we're really commanded to do in the word of God. Some people have that gift as well. Sometimes it's called encouragement. Um, but it's encouragement in order to get into the calling that God has on your life. So we all have a spiritual gift. And when we're operating in that, that's when we're doing the work of the Lord. All right, so very clear. I want you to make sure you understand that. But here today, we are now in the final chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now here in chapter 16, remember verse 58, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that springs forward into, into chapter 16, where we see the work of the Lord in action. We'll see it Hopefully in the congregation, in their giving, we'll see it in Paul on his journeys, we'll see it in Timothy and Apollos, and then so many other people who are part of the membership of the church in Corinth and also in the wider array of churches that Paul had founded. Okay, So we're going to see all of that in chapter 16. It's a very lively, energetic chapter, even though a lot of people kind of brush it off as, well, that's not important to us because he's just talking to those people in that well. Never is that the case in the Word of God, because we know that the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to write what they did. Not, you know, not necessarily, because um, this is still a conversational thing. I mean, it really was Paul writing to these people at the same time he's inspired by the Holy Spirit with what he would put down to pen. And so that, that meant that the Holy Spirit wanted it to be something that the churches throughout the generations would also see and take from. All right, let's go back to chapter 16, verse 1. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, see now they're part of the work of the Lord, notice, so do you also. He's saying here that the instructions I gave to the churches at Galatia, by the way, they were plural, there was more than one, I'm giving to you as well. In other words, you're all doing the same thing. You're all doing it the same way. All right? So in that sense, you're together on this. You're unified on this. All right. On the first day of each week, of every week, notice, on the first day of every week, each one of you, all right, it doesn't just say the wealthy among you, right? It says each one of you, we're going to see that, is to put aside and save. This is supposed to be not, a, not a, uh, something that was uh, stimulated by emotion and pressure and gimmicks, right? It is your discipline. You do it. Every week you take a look and you say, this is what I want to give towards the um, poor, in this case the poor in Jerusalem. He says, put it aside and save it as you may prosper. 
We'll see more about that. In this, in this situation, in terms of giving to the poor, giving to other members of the body of Christ in need, we're really, he doesn't really call for them, and by extension us, to be sacrificial necessarily. That's your choice. But he specifies here that it ought to be out of the way in which the Lord has prospered you that week. So that no collections be made when I come. Paul has good reasons for not wanting there to be any collections when he arrives. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, notice, I will send them with letters, and they will carry your gift to Jerusalem. Okay, so he's saying, I want you to decide who it is that you're going to have take the collection to Jerusalem. I don't want any part of it, is what he's saying. We'll see why he does that. And it is fitting for me, and if it is fitting for me to go also, they'll go with me. There's a possibility that he'll be journeying directly to Jerusalem, in which case they would come with him. All right, now concerning. We've seen that before several times in this letter. It indicates that there was something in their letter that Paul is now addressing. We don't know the exact question. It had something to do with how would the collection be accomplished. So the Corinthian church had raised that in his letter, and here he is going to address that. All right, now, what was the collection for the saints? Well, from other passages and other letters, including 2 Corinthians and also um, in Romans and so forth and in the book of Acts, we learned that the collection for the saints was Paul's project. Now, he had initiated it with all the Gentile churches he had founded. It wasn't just Corinth. It was Galatia. It was Macedonia. It was Ephesus. All right? All of those churches. Okay? So... He did it for a specific purpose. All right? It was a major undertaking that he wanted to see accomplished by those Gentile churches. By the way, when I say Gentile churches, I don't mean 100%. All right? And each of these churches, almost without exception, at least these, they were Jewish um, believers who started out with Paul and then it spread to the Gentiles. That, te- that tended to be his pattern. Remember, he would go into the synagogues first and he would preach the gospel. Some would believe it. Some would, and then he would receive tremendous persecution from the Jews that didn't believe it. And then typically he would move on to some place or places where he could then preach directly to the Gentiles. Okay, so there were both, but primarily Gentile church. So again, he did this in Galatia, Macedonia, and Achaia. Achaia is the Roman province where the city of Corinth was. Now, we can see here that he'd already given instructions to the Galatian churches. All right? So he's not, he didn't start with Corinth. He'd already instructed the Galatian churches about how, are they conduct, how, to the, how to conduct the offering. Now he's going to take those same instructions and spell them out for the saints at Corinth. The collection, notice this now. The collection, when Paul goes into detail... With this collection, I mean detail, all right? Here, he says a few things about it. But in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he takes two whole chapters. Now, a lot of times, um, pastors and so forth will try to apply that to all kinds of giving. But this is not all kinds of giving. This is specific to the poor. And that's so important. Unfortunately, a lot of churches... um, you know, they're into the, getting a lot of money for the pastor, for the trappings, for, you know, a coffee shop and all these other things. And they pressure their people to give for that. Well, that never happens in, in the New Testament. Okay? When, when Paul really puts all his efforts behind a collection, it's for the poor. It's for other people. It's not even for the congregation themselves. It was for other people, other believers who were in need. 
That's so important because I think we have the wrong emphasis when we think about giving. All right? Certainly. All right? The, the, the spiritual gift of giving, yes, that is for the support of the congregation itself. Certainly the congregation has needs. And certainly evangelists have needs as well. But there are also people in the body of Christ around us, maybe not too far away even, that are in great financial need and need for other things as well. And so that's what this is addressing. Just keep that in mind. So these principles are for that in particular. So again, this was intended, this collection was intended for poor Jewish Christians in the Jerusalem church. All right, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 26 where we see exactly that, what Paul spells out the purpose of this collection. Notice Romans chapter 15, verse 26. Again, it's a major thing that's on Paul's mind when he writes several of his letters. This this was something that he was paying attention to for an extended period of time. It was important to him for a lot of reasons. For one reason, he had promised, you know, when, when he went to um, John and Peter and James and he said, listen, I'm going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. You will be the apostles, apostles to the Jews. Well, as part of that, he, they said, well, you know, we want to make sure you take care of the poor. And he said, that's the very thing I want to do. So he had, in a sense, made a commitment to the leaders of the Jerusalem church that he'd, he would go to the Gentiles and, and, and get them to help support the poor in Jerusalem. So he, so he had a lot of reasons. That was one of the big ones. Romans fifteen twenty six, From Macedonia. Now, Macedonia, I'm going to show you um, a graph when we get to, a map rather, when we get to Paul's travels. But Macedonia was a Roman province. It was basically um, what we would call today the Balkans, and then especially coming down to Macedonia, northern Greece. All right? Achaia was southern Greece. All right. So, so in, in Macedonia, we have the churches of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. All right. First and Second Thessalonians, written to a church in Mas- churches in Macedonia. All right. Philippians, written to the church, a church in Macedonia. All right. When he compliments the Bereans in Acts 17, he's talking about a church in Macedonia. So that's Macedonia. Achaia. All right, the two major cities to think about when it's in, in terms of Achaia, southern, southern Greece, okay, would be Athens and Corinth. All right. So he said, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. That was the purpose. Yes, they were pleased to do so. And in, in, in Corinth's case, eventually they became pleased. All right. We'll see, if you were to read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you would see that the Macedonians were falling all over themselves wanting to give. And they did give, you know, sacrificially, even though they didn't have to. Corinth was a kind of different situation. But at the end, they finally come around to be pleased to do so after Paul instructs them again and again as to why it's important and what they, are, should, what they should do and the motivation. And this is the motivation. And they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the there, those are the saints in Jerusalem, spiritual things. Now, what does that mean? How did they share in spiritual things from the Jewish saints in Jerusalem? Well, the answer is quite simple. They, they, from them, the Jews, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and so forth, the, all of the people that went out to preach the gospel at first were Jewish people, especially Paul. Paul was a Jewish person. 
All right. And so they they were the one. That's where the church started. The, the first place in which Christianity blossomed was in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. OK, so that was what he meant by the debt that the Gentiles owed them. That's how they shared in spiritual things. And then notice, here's the principle. They are indebted to minister to them also in material things. So, so what does it say? It's saying that when, when, when a people, a church, a congregation understands where their spiritual blessings started, all right, whatever that might be, all right, they should have gratitude for that and freely give. Right? That's the principle. Indebted to minister to them also in material things. In other words, they were to give out of guilt or shame or necessity or prodding or arrogance, but rather simply out of gratitude. That's always what the Lord is. When he, when he, this is New Testament now, not, not, not the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. That was a totally different situation. That was a nation ruled by the Lord directly. That was the way it's supposed to be. They asked for kings later. But that was a nation. Now, a nation needs revenue in order to run the nation. All right? So they needed a tax system. Okay, that was tithing. That was obligation. They, they had to do that. Not here. All right? This was freely given out of gratitude from the blessings they had received. And that's always the principle behind our giving as the church, out of gratitude, all right? That's why, you know, there's a period of time when people are first believers where they're really not necessarily ready to give. That sounds strange. They may have a lot of money, but they have to develop that gratitude in their hearts, which is the motivation for them to give, out of gratitude for blessings they have received, especially the spiritual ones. Now, the Corinthians already knew about this project that Paul had for this collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But they didn't really know how they were supposed to go about it. Right now, you know, today, of course, we have a lot of models for how churches should raise money and so forth. But to them, this was all new. Right? This is this something they'd never done before. They never, they never had a, an effort among all the members of the congregation to have, a, have an offering put together over several months and then have that sent to another place. It was new. So they needed to be instructed. How do you do that? All right. So how do you gather it? How do you deliver it? Those are the two things. How do you gather it? How does it come to be? And then how do you get it to where it's supposed to be going? That's what he addresses here in verses 1 to 4. Now notice he says, on the first day of the week. If you go, now if you go back now to 1 Corinthians 16. And now let's look at chapter 2. I mean verse 2. 1 Corinthians 16.2. Here he begins his instructions on how they're to do it. We can learn a lot from this. Okay, He says, on the first day of every week. What is that? Well, it's what we call today Sunday. It's Sunday. Now, he didn't use the word Sunday, even though it was around back then, because he didn't want to use pagan words. You know, Sunday is not a Christian word. It's a pagan word, actually. All right? But in any event, we, that's, you know, we commonly call it Sunday today, and everyone knows what that means. They assembled on that day. Why? Well, very simply, well, we, what they just were studying and hearing about in chapter 15, because that's the day the Lord was raised from the dead. And they understood that. It's so interesting that they, they, were, they, had to, they wanted to be together on Sunday. And remember, yet some of them were doubting the resurrection. Isn't that interesting? I mean, isn't that true, though? Sometimes we'll do things and we don't really think about why we're doing it, and all of a sudden we're rejecting the reason, but we're still doing the activity. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, unbelieving Jews who celebrate the Passover. Um, 
Christians that are not, well, people that aren't really believers in Christ celebrating Christmas and celebrating Easter, right? A lot of people that aren't believers in Christ celebrate those holidays. They have no idea why beyond Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, right? But you see, what we understand is that the behind that is the reality, right, of the birth of Christ and his resurrection from the dead. In any event, that was why they, they met together on the first day of the week. And notice, importantly, that next phrase, each one of you, each one of you. Okay, this is everybody is called to this, right? Is to put aside and save just as he may prosper. Notice again, that he wants each one of them to be a part of this. Each one should put aside something and save it for when they gather the whole collection together. He wanted each member of the church, now no matter how poor. You see, there are times when, 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 when there's a giving situation and it's, it's primarily directed at those who have the gift. Not here. He's talking. To, now, why would he talk to every member of the church? Well, because <laughs> you would expect that all of them would have gratitude for the spiritual blessings. Now, how do they, how do they express that gratitude? Right? Present your bodies. Right? Present something that you have as a free offering. Okay? So that's what he wanted everybody to do. He said, I want them no matter how poor they are. Now... He's going to say as well that next phrase, which is, as he may prosper, next clause, as he may prosper. So there's still a condition here that relates to how much you're going to give. Okay, it has to do with how much you prosper. All right. But each one he wants to set aside and save, no matter how poor he wants them to contribute. One of the other reasons he wanted to do this, by the way, was he didn't want to create more tension between the haves and the have-nots. Remember, we saw that in chapter 11 concerning the, the, the Lord's Supper, where the, where the haves, the wealthy, were coming with all this great food and they were gathering together and just enjoying it and sharing it with their own rich friends. Meanwhile, you had the poor who probably came in at the last minute because they were working out there as slaves or as artisans and so forth, and they didn't really have much to bring. And, they, and the rich made a big issue of that. Remember that? It had this gulf between the haves and the have-nots. Well, the last thing that Paul would want to do now is to reinforce that, right? How would he have done that if he just said, hey, I want the, I want, when, I, when I arrive, by the way, I want the, I want the wealthy to come on. You know how they do this in churches where they have, they have pledges and then the wealthy pledge the most and everybody applauds. Hey, what a great amount of money. He didn't want that. Why? Because that's, a, that's division. Some people are getting all this honor and recognition. Other people are looked upon like, you didn't do hardly anything. That's not what he wanted. That's not what he wanted. He wanted everybody to be a part of this unity, right? Not division. All right. Now, in addition to that, it was to be a voluntary offering. Completely. By the way, that's why we don't pass, pass around the plate or the basket or whatever. Except, except, now think about this. When do we do that? When we're supporting a missionary. But other than that, we don't do that. Why? Because it's supposed to be a voluntary offering. In real gratitude in your heart. Now, you think everybody all the time comes to church every Sunday, right? And they have that gratitude in their heart? Well, not necessarily. You know, let's be honest, right? But they can over the week or whatever, whenever they choose, or maybe they're disciplined about it. And that way there's no pressure. There's no gimmicks. It's just something they do voluntarily, freely, responding to God's grace. And we all have been beneficiaries of the grace of God. You know, every Christian has, no doubt, because of the cross and the resurrection. 
Not to mention the fact that each one of us, as Romans 5 teaches, has, is it sh- being showered by the grace of God every day of our lives. If we would just have eyes to see that. So it was to be voluntary. I want you to notice also, he didn't indicate a specific amount. <laughs> a lot of times people say, well, how much should I give to this? You know? Well, he didn't tell them how much. Why? Because he wanted it to be a voluntary offering between them and the Lord. He didn't give them a definite proportion, you know. That's why it's, it wasn't a tithe. He didn't say, you know, all of you, any way that you prosper, I want you to give eh, 20% to the poor in Jerusalem. He didn't do that. Again, he wanted it to be a free response to God's grace. And again, he didn't require a sacrifice. Why? Because he said it was to be done as you may prosper, all right? As you may prosper, all right? So he didn't want them to have to sacrifice. If they wanted to, that was their free decision to do so, but he didn't want to force them. If they needed something to survive on, to eat and feed their families and and pay their rent and all the other things that they had to do, he didn't want them to sacrifice the money that was needed for that in order to have this collection. He wanted to to do it out of their prosperity. We'll see more about that. All right, again, it was to be an amount based on whatever success or prosperity the Lord may have blessed them with that week. See how it's really all depending on the Lord here? You see how it is that the Lord is the one who says, I'm going to provide success or prosperity in some measure to all of you. Now, a lot of times we don't see that. All right? And by the way, the prosperity or the success can take different forms. It may not necessarily be a bigger paycheck that week. Maybe there's other things that took pressure off you in other ways or areas where you're rejoicing and so forth because of people, because of situations or things that, you know, a lot of times, if we would be honest about it and we thought about the things God rescues us out of, well, let me tell you something. If he hadn't, that would have been costly to us in a lot of cases, right? Maybe we get into an accident, it was our fault, and you know that the, the person had every right to sue us or whatever, and then the Lord intervenes, such that that doesn't happen. Whew, we just saved some money. We never think about that, but that's part of his blessing and success that he brings into our lives, the things that he rescues us out of. As one example, there are many more. So every week, a person should take a moment and think about it. Well, how did the Lord bless me this week? How did he make me a prosperous person? And in that way, in that, I'm to share that. I'm to put an amount aside for the poor. All right, this was an individual matter. Nobody should butt in their noses on what you're going to give. It was private. So important because he didn't want... You know, remember the Lord talked about the fact that there are those out there who make a big splash when they give. He says they've already had their reward. And how did he put it? I don't want the left hand to know what the right hand is doing. Well, what he was, what he was really saying was he didn't want everybody to know what everybody else was giving. That's another reason why we don't pass the basket around. People be looking. They're trying to look. Was that a check? Was that a $1 bill? You know how that goes. They didn't want any of that. You know, there's some churches that print a list at the end. I was a member of a, of a, of a denomination where they, would, where they would make this collection, and they would print a list. This one gave 10000 Woo! And then, oh, this one only gave twenty. That, that's totally violating the principle here that it should be a private, voluntary thing that he wanted them to do. 
And again, God would make sure. This is the key now. God was going to make sure to bless that congregation. In other words, when they're in the midst of this activity in order to raise funds and other things, what, what other thing? Maybe they needed food. Maybe we don't know what they were. Primarily financial, all right? When he's asking them, he's, he's having Paul initiate this and organize this, you can bet that he is going to find ways to prosper people so that they'll have the ability to give to this offering. That, that's, that's, that's the key, actually, here. All right? As, as you have prospered, all right? And he's saying that that's really looking at how God has prospered you. Look at it that way. All right? God is behind this. And, and, and I think if we're humble, we'll admit that that's always true. You know, always true. When we have some kind of prosperity, we're blessed in a certain, certain way. When we have success of a certain kind, I mean, in my own life, I've had situations where that's been true, where things happen that, again, it's a lot of times where things were avoided, you know, but that was a success. That was a blessing. That was prosperity. The one does that in order for those saints who are living in their calling to continue to be able to do that, including this situation where everybody is called to provide something. So you can bet that the Lord would bless everybody in the measure in order for them all to participate. Maybe it's a small thing. You know, maybe somebody found $100 on the ground. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but, you know, those are the kind of things where the Lord will make sure you'll have something to give. All right. Now, notice here in verse 2, he didn't want any collections to be made when he came. Boy, is that the opposite of what we see so much in churches, right? When, when, when people come... Right, the, 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 the people, and we do that, we're guilty of it, right? When, some, when somebody comes to visit, we take a love offering at the end. Well, Paul didn't want that. Now, there are certain things that were unique to his ministry that were part of the reason why, but, there, but he didn't want that to happen. He didn't want an offering taken when he was there. All right? He didn't want speeches, right, to kind of influence people and make them feel guilty about not giving. He didn't want gimmicks. Boy, do we have gimmicks today. In, in giving, right? You know, if you call by midnight tonight, boy, we're going to give you Dr. So-and-so's new book. You know, a gimmick, right? A gimmick. If you give more than this, well, you'll get his CD series also. You know, how that kind of thing goes. None of that. No emotional appeals, you know. Um, think about it. Now, he doesn't have all the technology we have today. But since he wanted this to be done before he came, he didn't want them to expect he was going to come there and tell them some horrible stories about how poor they were so they would feel emotional about it and give based on their emotion at the time. He didn't want that. He wanted it to be deliberate. He wanted them to be able to stop and think about how it is that they've been blessed and that should be the motivation. Not some temporary emotion. All right, That's so important. And no boastful displays either. Again, he did not want the wealthy, to be able to one more time boast about how they'd be able to do something that the poor weren't able to do. And he doesn't want to know, he doesn't want to know how much each one is given. He doesn't even want to know. Right? In fact, he doesn't want to even touch the offering. Think about it. He doesn't even want to touch it. It's, there, it's theirs from start to finish. Right? Remember, he says that he's going to say that men of their own choosing should gather the offering. Not Paul, not the people he brings with them, but members of the congregation themselves should gather up the offering together. That way, when Paul arrives, it's the whole thing is there. This is one effort by all of us, and this is what we have to contribute. 
There's no, no sense of who gave what, right? Wonderful, isn't it? That's a great picture of unity when, uh, when that is set up that way. So again, he wanted them to choose men that they wisely understood could be trusted because it was a trust, right? I mean, you're going to give, I don't know what the amount was, but let's say in today's dollars, let's say it was $50,000, but it wasn't just a check back then. It would have been, you know, gold and all these other things that um, would be impressive and also, by the way, would be temptations for robbers along the way so that they had to think carefully about how many people and so forth. But it was their decision, all right? Who could be trusted? Who would be wise enough? You know, who wouldn't be foolish enough to kind of leave the treasures out at night? You know, I mean, they wanted somebody, people that would be able to carry this out successfully. But they picked it. Paul didn't, these men. All right, look at verses 3 to 4. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 3 to 4. As we continue here. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry their gift, your gift to Jerusalem. When I arrive, whomever you, you may approve, they've already approved this, these people, then I'll just send them with letters. That's all Paul's going to do. He's not going to have anything to do with the offering, but he is going to send a letter of commendation for each one of them. I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, then they will go with me. It turns out that that didn't happen. We'll see, we'll see a little more of that. In other words, though, Paul leaves the entire enterprise in their hands. He's like, here are the guidelines. Here's what I want you to do and not do. Go, go to it. It's all yours now. All right? He didn't want to have anything to do with it for a lot of reasons. One was, he didn't, again, he didn't want to know who was given what, but he also didn't want to leave any possibility that somebody could accuse him of wanting to do this for his own advantage. That was another reason why. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Now, he would send them with letters of commendation. Send it ahead, one for each man. Now, why? Well, it's something that happened all the time. You can read it in other parts. This happened a lot. When some, when, when some group that knew people was sending some people that didn't know those people, they would come with them letters of commendation. Why? So that they could be understood to be legitimate, right? The church in Jerusalem knew Paul. You know, they didn't know anybody from the church in Corinth at all. They hadn't visited them. They probably didn't even hear. Paul didn't write them about. So these would have been total strangers showing up, right? They didn't want that. He wanted them to have a letter from him, you know, something that, that asserted these are who they say they are. They knew him. They knew Paul. And, and they respected his authority. And therefore, he, they knew he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Therefore, if a bunch of Gentiles are showing up with a letter from Paul, well, that all makes sense. That all fits together. We're going to welcome them as if we were welcoming the apostle Paul. That was huge, you know. He was paving the way for every one of these emissaries to be accepted. All right? Very, very important. All right. We do this today. You know, we do this today when we, want, when we want people to recognize that these people have the authority to do what they're doing. We may not send a letter. Today it might just be an email. Hey, I'm sending so-and-so. You know, he's, he's, he's part of our congregation. People want to know, who is this person? All right. So the other thing, though, was that there's another reason why he wanted the Gentiles to go. All right. And that was he wanted, he's always thinking about unity, right? Unity among the members of the church itself. 
unity with the other churches in the, in the surrounding areas, and also unity between the Gentiles and the Jews. This was so important to Paul. He mentions it. All right? In fact, in fact uh, we'll see this passage in just a second. In fact, you can go there now. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Hold your place in chapter 16, but go back a few chapters to chapter 12. He brings this subject up, building the bonds of unity between Jewish and Gentile believers. When the Lord talks about unity in the word of God, in the, in the churches, he always points out that he's already established it, right? He's already, he, our job is to preserve it, right? We're going to see that how he established it, but then understand that he wants us to preserve it. Don't do anything that would rupture it, that would cause this conflict and a split. Don't do anything. It's beautiful now. Leave it that way, in other words. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, this is how he did it, we were all baptized into one body, not with water, but with the spirit. We're all placed into the one body of Christ when we believe. Notice, whether Jews or Greeks, it didn't matter. They were all the same. They were all united as members of the body of Christ. Whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. There it is. All for one. That's unity. All for one. All for one offering. All for one body of Christ, Jew or Gentile. This, having the Gentiles show up, would be a powerful statement to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. About what? Well, first of all, that the Gentiles were grateful to them. They're expressing their gratitude. And they're coming to their assistance. And that indeed, there is supposed to be a unity between the Jews and the Gentiles in the body of Christ. By the way, we could apply it to today, could we not? Are we still not seeing horrible divisions between different ethnic groups and different religions, right? Do we have something today called identity politics that says we're going to magnify those differences? And by the way, even in the church, unfortunately, unfortunately. But the, how did God solve that for those who care? For those who want to do it the Lord's way, who want to understand what the Lord has done with everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. He's established a great unity in his body. And that ought to be the end of any conflict between races or religions or rich and poor or male and female or any of that. Ought to be, right? Why? Because that's how we establish. People destroy that unity. But God established it so that there would be complete connection, complete compatibility, peace between everybody, no matter what their race, no matter what their color, no matter how much money they had and so forth, no matter where they came from before. All right. That's why we should never criticize somebody based on where they were in a religious sense before they came, became believers, right? I mean, I've seen people that, you know, looked down upon because they were into the new age, they were dabbling in the new age, and then they believed in Christ and they put that behind them. But people want to remind them of that. You know, you're really a second-class Christian. We're not even sure you are because you were in that. Well, we were all in something, right? We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all children of wrath. So therefore, there should be none of that. All right? Everybody had something, whether it was a, f- a false religion, whether it was no religion at all, whether, whatever it was. All right? And then we all become one in Christ. All right. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 4. 1 Corinthians 16, 4. He said, listen, I want you all to make the collection ahead of time. I want you to, to all be what you do. 
And I don't want to have any part of it. And then he says one other thing. He says, and if it is fitting for me also to go. In other words, if he was also going to go with them to Jerusalem, then he will. If, if it's fitting, we're going to see that word in just a second. Okay, he'll go. Now, he wasn't sure, was he? He said, if. If it's fitting for me to go also to Jerusalem with them, they'll go with me. Now, it turns out that that didn't happen. Okay? We're going to see in a minute, he's going to map out his future plans from where he was at that time in Ephesus in Asia. He's going to tell them his plans. Well, the plans that he's going to describe end with him in Corinth. And where he was going to go after that was up in the air. He didn't even know. So again, Paul was not certain that he would accompany them. Right? I guess in some respects, he'd rather he didn't. Right? He'd rather that they would show up on their own and that they would be received and greeted as Gentiles. All right, again, he's going to come to Corinth. He's not sure whether he's going to go to Jerusalem after that. His plans were up in the air. Why? Well, because, you know, we shouldn't always say, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to go there. We should always say, you know what? It's really up to the Lord. I mean, there's many times, like when Paul was on his second missionary journey, he wanted to go to Ephesus at Asia and preach the gospel at that time. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. There's a closed door at that moment, all right? Open door in, in Europe, open door in Philippi. Then the next time around, okay, a totally open door in that same place, Ephesus, right? That's the Lord's will. That's his plan. That's what matters, okay? So he wasn't sure. He said, I don't know. I, I may be going to Jerusalem. I may not. Now, notice he says, if it is fitting. This doesn't mean that if the offering is big enough. I mean, that's what some people say this means. How ridiculous is that? Again, that would be a violation of the fact that he wanted it to be voluntary and everybody would give. And he also wanted, it wasn't really the amount anyway, right? He wanted them to express their gratitude. He wanted them to help. He wanted them, that unity between Jew and Gentile, right? It wasn't because he had to measure how big the offering was. No, it was something else. That word fitting means advisable. If it is advisable. If it is advisable for him to go also, then they will go with him. What does it mean? Who's going to give him the advice? The Lord is. Right, that's what he's talking about. If the Lord says, yes, you can go, then you can go. It's advisable. Now, here's the thing. Part of the reason why Paul wasn't sure was that he understood that his mission was to whom? He was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? So he knew there was a lot of unfinished business. There were a lot of other places. I mean, he would even tell the Romans that I want to come see you. I've never seen you. I want to go to Spain. So there were a lot of things, as we would say, in the West, okay? Jerusalem is over at the far eastern part. Your way would look like this. Far eastern part of the Mediterranean. He wanted to get to the far western part in Spain, all right? So that he knew there was a lot of unfinished business. So it may not have been the opportune time for him to go to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it really was a tough time when he did go. All right? He ended up being in prison when he did go. All right. So the bottom line is, Paul didn't do that. He didn't end up, after he got to Corinth, he did not end up going to Jerusalem at that time. Instead, he went back up to Macedonia. We'll, we'll see some of that. All right, please go to first, well, please continue. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 5, let's continue to see what he has to say about his plans. 1 Corinthians 16, 5. Notice that this is a statement of fact. He knew because the Lord had already told him that this was his plan. But I will come to you. And he said that already a couple of times in his letter. He needed to come to them. In other words, it was fine that he would address these problems in his letter, but that wasn't enough. He had to spend time with them, you know, coaching them, teaching them, challenging them, and so forth. All right? He had to do it. And he says, I will. I will come to you. Now, they figured earlier when he was saying, they figured he'd be right coming right away, you know. But he wasn't going to come right away. All right? He's in Ephesus, and he's going to make another trip before he ends up in Corinth. I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. After I go through Macedonia, I'm going to show you a map in a minute. I know that'll be exciting. Well, it's exciting for me. I just finished this great book on geography and how it affects everything in terms of the military and all, anyway. But geography maps, you know, it helps you really see what he's talking about. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to help you with that. I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. Or I am. Notice he's sure about that too. I am going through Macedonia. I'm going to come to you, but the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to come through Macedonia. And perhaps I'll stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter. We'll see why he would mention the winter. So that you may send me on my way. We're going to see what that means. doesn't just mean, hey, great to see you, Paul. We're sending you on on your way now. doesn't mean that. Wherever I may go. Notice he doesn't know where he's going after Corinth. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. All right, that would have been the case if he knew he had to be in, in Macedonia and he went to Corinth first, he would have to just right, just pass through and then go up. He didn't want that. He wanted to spend some time with them. For I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. Verse 8, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Notice he says, says all of these things as facts. Right, I will remain in Ephesus I will come to you, but it will be after I go through Macedonia. In other words, this part of his trip plans were solid. were already etched in by the Lord. Verse 9, title of today's message, For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Those two go together. Wide door, many adversaries. All right. So now what's Paul doing? Well, he's just he's telling them the advanced travel plans, right? We do that. Right? We might say, I'm coming to see you in Fort Lauderdale, but you know, first, all right, I'm going to go to Georgia, and then I'm going to go to St. Augustine, and then I'm going to go to West Palm Beach, then I'll be there. Now you can plan. Okay, so it's going to be some time. Okay, so anyway, that's what he did. He says, here's my plans, my upcoming travel plans, so ending up where you guys are. All right, I promised I would use a map this morning, and I'm going to be true to my promise. All right. So what's going on now? This is, by the way, his third missionary journey, all right? He had four altogether, all right? But this is his third one. By the way, it started in Antioch, all right? Then it went to Tarsus. That's where he came from. Then it kind of made a quick journey right here. Where are these? These are the Galatian churches. Then he went all the way to Ephesus. This is Ephesus. This was the center of the province of Asia, all right? Ephesus. He's going to spend a lot of time there, all right? Book of Acts says that ultimately he's going to spend three years there. All right. Then what's he going to do? All right. Well, if you follow, this is a little confusing, which is I want to show you the pointer. He's going to go up, and then he's going to 
head to Macedonia, just like he said. I'm going to take a boat to Macedonia. I'm going to pass through the churches here, Philippi, and uh, Thessalonica, Berea. Then I'm going to come down to see you. So that's what he promised. That's what he did. Now, I want you to notice something. Remember, he said, if it's fitting, right, if it's advisable, what did he say? I will go with those guys to Jerusalem. Did he? Is there any line here from Corinth to Jerusalem? No. What did he end up doing? He went back where he came from, to Macedonia. Then he came back around the other way. And then he kind of went right by. He's sailing now. He kind of went by, stopped for a little while, not not in Ephesus, but Miletus. Then he came down, and then he went to Jerusalem. All right, so there was quite an indirect route, all right, that got him there. All right, right there. By the way, guess what his trip's going to be after that? Any idea? Do you know what happens to him in Jerusalem? He's persecuted and arrested, and then he's going to end up in Rome. But not, he wanted to go to Rome, but he didn't want to go in chains. But that's what ended up happening. So anyway, but that was good because he wrote some of the greatest letters we have, Ephesians and Colossians and so forth, Philippians. All right, so that was his, I wanted you to see that. Now, it's interesting. He said, I'm going to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. That's what he said. Well, that meant that, it, I will see this, but he was going to stay there until early summertime. Now, why do you think that would be the case? I want you to think about that. I'll, get, I'll tell you in a minute. But why would he say, you know what, I'm going to go sail in early summertime? We'll see about that. Okay. So then he said, I'm going to go to the Roman province of Macedonia. That's what he did. He would make a brief tour all right, of these churches. By the way, these were not his problem churches. Right? Uh, this was. So he'd be able to, he wouldn't have to spend, whoops, I'm going wrong. He wouldn't have to spend a lot of time there. Right? He would just have to you know, pray for them, exhort them, and by the way, importantly, receive the offering, all right, and come down there. All right, so that's, that's what he said he was going to do, and then down to Corinth, where he, remember, he expected to spend the winter here. In other words, he wasn't going to do any sailing in the wintertime. He was going to stay in Corinth. If the Lord permitted, he was then again go to Jerusalem. And the Lord, by the way, didn't permit that, but he did permit the plans that Paul said he was going to take between Ephesus and Macedonia and Corinth. All right. And that happened. All right. As a matter of fact, if you could go to Acts chapter 20 at this point, we're going to see that, in fact, it did happen. Acts chapter 20, verse 1. We're going to see exactly what did happen. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. Now, he's, this is talking about, if you were to read the book of Acts, you would find out that this, this is when he was in Ephesus. Still, all right? After the uproar had ceased. Remember he said in his letter, there are many adversaries? Well, this is what happened. Uh, he, he, had, he had great persecution in Ephesus and in Asia. He, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, and taking his leave of them, he left Ephesus to go to Macedonia. When he had gone through those districts and given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. Now the word Greece had to do 
with the province of Achaia. All right, this is exactly what we saw in the map. Right? He said, "Listen," he said, "I'm going to. I'm, I'm now having great affliction here, but I'm going to gather my my guys, and then we're going to get to Macedonia. We're going to go through the churches here and exhort them. I mean, then at last, I'm going to come down to Greece or Achaia. All right. So that's what he did. And then he said, notice verse 3, and there he spent three months. All right, so what three months do you think he spent there? Huh? Wintertime, exactly. January, February, uh, December, January, February, January, February, March. Because again, he sailed in early summer. It took some time to hear, so probably in late summer he's here. Then he's heading there, and by the time he gets to Corinth, it's almost wintertime. So he spent three months in Corinth, like he said he would. But did he go to Jerusalem from there? And there, was, there he spent three months. And then when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he was about to come on down here. Syria is here. But he never made it. He never made it. Why? That plot was formed against him. And because of that, he didn't go to Jerusalem. As we've seen, he returned to Macedonia. Isn't this fun? Yeah, remember that... that when letters written ahead of time saying, eh, my plans, book of Acts is history. This is what actually happened. All right, so we can see it all. We can see that he didn't end up going to Jerusalem. All right, back to chapter 16, verse 5. And we'll wrap up today. 1 Corinthians 16, 5. <clears throat> but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. For I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you. Now, he knows he's going there, but he meant stay for a while or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Pentecost, in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now, that word Pentecost, let's just take a moment with that. It was the Jewish Feast of Weeks, okay, or Shavuot, all right? It was a a Jewish feast. By the way, Paul is still thinking in terms of the Jewish calendar. It's interesting, okay? And in fact, he wanted them to think about the Jewish calendar too. For a lot of them, there's no problem. They were either Jewish themselves or they were proselytes or people that were followers of the Jewish religion and so forth. But for others, it was new, all right? But he wanted to orient them to the Jewish calendar. Well, it turns out that, look in the book of Leviticus, this was celebrated. This Pentecost was celebrated in late May or early June, right? What would that be? Late May, early June. It's a beautiful time of year, isn't it? It's almost summertime. It's springtime. Okay. Why is that important? Why would we care when he... Because it, did, it showed something. It showed that Paul put a lot of thought into the timing of his travel. What do I mean? Very simply, early summer... All right, in that time and in that location, it's still true today, by the way, all right, in this sea, the Aegean, I don't have the map up, but in the Aegean Sea, and the, no, that's not the Aegean Sea, Adriatic. But in any event, the best time to travel by sea was early summer. So that's why he said, I will stay here in Ephesus, all right, until early summer, Pentecost, and then I'm going to make that sail up to Macedonia at the best possible time to do it. Now, why would he stay in winter? Why would he not travel in winter? Because in the wintertime, a sea voyage was impossible back then. There were a lot of storms. It was unpredictable weather. Okay, by the way, longer nights, a lot of clouds. Why? Why is that important? 
because they didn't have GPS, right? They navigated by the stars. If they weren't out, they were in trouble, all right? So no winter time, all right? Paul remains in Ephesus until early summer, as we've seen. Then he would sail at the best possible time to Macedonia. Then he would make short visits to the churches up there, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and then on to Corinth, where he intended to spend the winter. Why did he had to spend three months there? Because he needed to straighten a lot of things out still, the things that we saw in his letter. They weren't all resolved just because he sent a letter. He had to go there. All right. He couldn't visit him right away. Right? He was going to go through Massachusetts. Well, what, what did he do? He, had, he knew these problems were hot. They were going on. He wanted to do something to address them. What did he do? Anybody? He wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> he said, I can't be there yet, so I'm going to write to you. All right? That's what he did. Now, it says that they would send him on his way to his next destination. This wasn't having a party, all right? It meant a lot more than that. One Greek word today, propempo, that's to send on his way, all right? What did it mean back in the New Testament? You can look at these passages that have that Greek word if you're so inclined. It meant to support missionaries. It meant support. Sending them on their way meant sending them with everything they needed, right? Missionaries. It meant all the resources that they would require for their journey. What would that be? Supplies, money, and also traveling companions. All of that. So you can see that the churches were really called upon to really do all they could to support missionary activity. That they were sent, they were, they were visited, they had the blessing of them being visited themselves, they're grateful, and now they're going to do everything they can to make sure that Paul or the, wherever it was, that was sent to them, would be able to travel on and bless other people as well. That meant money. That meant supplies. That meant people going with them. That's the biggest commitment of all. Right? It was not easy to be with Paul. All right? Everybody that was with him went through the same things that he went through. The beatings, the stonings, in prison. Right? When he was in Philippi, he was in prison with Silas. All right? Whoever went with him was in for a tough time. So that was a huge commitment. All right. Now, you might say, wait a minute now. He's asking for them to support him. Didn't he just get through saying in chapter 9 that he didn't want to accept anything from them? Remember that? Let's compromise the preaching of the gospel. Well, wait a minute, Paul. Are you violating that? No. Why? Because he wasn't going to accept financial support while he was ministering to them. That would be the conflict of interest, right? No. No issue of money when I'm preaching the gospel to you. But when I'm done, and now I'm ready to go somewhere else, you can support my next visit. You can support my missionary activity to others. All right, Not just to you. I want to do this freely. And you can support me so I get to my next destination. Now, it's interesting. Paul did not say much about his work in Ephesus. Not much at all. He just said, um, I, hope to rem- I will remain in Ephesus in verse 8 to Pentecost. Verse 9, this is all he says. A wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries in Ephesus. A wide door of opportunity has opened to me. Well, I don't have that. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm just going to tell you anyway. The wide door of effective service, wide and effective door, 
refers to the very favorable circumstances for preaching the gospel. In other words, he knew that where he was, Ephesus, there were all kinds of opportunities. God left the door wide open to him to go throughout the province of Asia, preaching the gospel, building churches, and he knew that he had to stay there and continue in that work for a while more. Okay, that's what he was saying. And here's the principle. Notice what else. What does it say? And there are many adversaries. Notice that there's an and there. Great opportunity to preach the gospel. Guess what? Many adversaries. Why? Where God is at work, Satan will oppose. Right? That's the way it works. By the way, if you want to read about what some of these were, you'll find it in Acts chapter 19. We're not going to go there in the interest of time. Acts 19 tells us who some of these adversaries were. It was quite an assortment. Hostile Jewish unbelievers, pagan silversmiths, and worshipers of the goddess Diana. Can you imagine them all getting together? But that's what they did, right? We know that's what happens, right? People who hate each other get together for a common enemy. In that case, it was Paul and his companions. Now, who opens the door wide open to have the gospel preached? The Lord does. He also closes doors, as we've already mentioned this, this morning. He closed the door for Paul to go into Asia, and his second time around, opened it wide open his third time around. That's what he does. Please turn to Colossians chapter 4 as we close today. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. By the way, this principle is totally applicable for us today. All right? Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Colossians, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Then we are in Colossians chapter four, verse three. He's wrapping up this letter. He again is getting personal and practical. What he wants the the saints in Colossae to do? What does he say? Pray for us. Praying at the same time for us as well. Pray what? Notice he doesn't say that I will avoid all affliction. He doesn't say that I will get rich. He doesn't say that um, I don't want any broken bones, right? He says what? Pray that God will open up to us a door for the word. The door is what? For the word to be preached. By the way, he knew that when the Lord answered that prayer, what was going to happen? Open door. Persecution. So he was actually asking them to pray indirectly that he would have persecution. Not, not directly. He wasn't, you know, a masochist. But he knew. I want you to pray for me that I go to Pakistan. I know when I get there, there's going to be a lot of trouble there. But I'm going because I want that door to be open. Pray that God will open up to us a door for the word. So that we may, what, speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. He's already going through adversity. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. He's praying for boldness. He's praying. He knew that there would be opposition. But he didn't want that to interfere. In fact, he wanted to be bold about preaching it in the face of adversities. There will be opportunities for him to witness, even though there will be a lot of persecution. By the way, and I'll close with this today, same thing is true today for Christians. Now, yes, it's absolutely true for missionaries and evangelists. They're going where? They're going to other countries. They know that when they preach the gospel, there's going to be much opposition. Now, not all of us, not even a majority of us, 
Maybe, I don't know if there's somebody out there that's associated with our congregation. There is, actually, um, down there. But she's, right now, working in the United States of America. So you don't have to go to... You, I mentioned this before. We have a mission field in our backyard here in South Florida. What's the principle? Well, you may be called upon to proclaim Christ in a hostile situation. It could happen. It probably will. If you go out there and, and you're calling... You will have hostility. You will have resistance. Mark it down. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Okay. Now, do you worry about it? No. Do you try to seek out situations? No. But just understand that that goes along with it. And by the way, you should rejoice when it does because now you're able to really put it all on the line. And also understand that the Lord, as Paul says in that same letter of 2 Timothy, will rescue me from every evil deed. That's the faith that you have when these happen to you. Now, why is this? Why should we do it? Why does adversity come? Well, the fact is, and we see this throughout church history, we see it in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters and other places as well, Daniel and so many other people. When there's adversity... What ends up happening most of the time is that there are great opportunities for the gospel to bear fruit. It's an amazing condition there where there's great adversity, lots of hostility. It ends up being the most wonderful place in order for the gospel to be preached and for many to get saved. They they go together. So don't fear when there's adversity because of your living and your calling. It just means that God is really at work and he who began that good work will complete it. And all things are working together for good. So just take it as another aspect of being a Christian and just have faith, stand firm, put on the armor of God, and go forward. Be bold about it. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today. We want to thank you, Father, for leveling with us in terms of what your work is, the work of the Lord. We thank you, Father, that we see now that part of it is to be generous in supporting Christians that are uh, in poverty, impoverished, and persecuted. We see also, Father, that it has to do with supporting missionaries and evangelists. We'll see later on that the work also turns among the body of Christ, that we are to use our spiritual gifts to build up and edify one another. This is your work. We would ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit would make clear the calling you have on each one of us, how it is particularly that you have called us to contribute to the work of the Lord. And also, Father, that we may be exhorted by the word and by the power of the Spirit to step into that calling and do it with all our might. We ask this in Christ's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. All right, just quickly, uh, we will have our Bible study online again this week on Skype at 6.30, I believe. Aaron, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but your dad will be back, right, by Thursday. Okay. So you can once again email him. Pretty proud of myself, though. I was able to set up and do the... Yeah, they're all clapping. Because they know how, how, you know, if I can mess something up, I will, basically. But the Lord had mercy, and we were able to carry that out. But I'm glad Mark's going to be back nonetheless. All right, remember, we're talking about giving. We do support missionaries. Okay, at the end of every month is when we're ready to do that. So I do encourage you very much to be a part of that. It's free, it's re, Paul says it in 2 in second Corinthians and in Philippians 4. He says, you get the benefit. You get the benefit of it. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. You know, when we step out of our worries and 
frustrations and fears and, and just do it God's way, we get the benefit. So I encourage that. Remember, we also, of course, do have practical needs here in the body of Christ. We do have our local evangelists, right, Bud and Kim, that need things for their ministry to the homeless. To support any of those things, right, you, can, you, have, you have the box in the back. We have an internet website where you can uh, con- contribute by PayPal or by credit card. Please, if you are supporting one of our evangelistic ministries, please indicate that so we know, okay? And then you can also use the U.S. mail. Does anybody do that anymore? I think some people do. Mostly junk mail aficionados, but anyway. All right, so let's close one more time today. Father, we thank you so much for all of this depending. We thank you for for the greatest gift of all, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great gift of your grace in every aspect of your plan for humanity, especially that first step, which is to believe in your son. It's by grace through faith, not of works. We thank you for all of that, Father. We do pray, Father, that we would be challenged. We do pray, Father, for this world that's in so much need of the truth about the fact that they're dead in their trespasses and sins, but you have provided the answer through the death and resurrection of your son, and they just need to hear that truth and believe that good news. And so help us to be a part of that in whatever way you've called us. And we also ask your Father for your protection upon the body. We also, again, ask, Father, this morning that you would intervene in the affairs of our nation so that, you, that your will would be carried out once again, that we would remain the country that is graced out for the purposes you have for the United States. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Enjoy today.